remain standing, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter number 14. Exodus, chapter number 14. We'll read three verses here, and then we're going to go to the book of Psalms, and we'll pick up there. Exodus, chapter number 14. Please check your phones, make sure they're off. Would you do that for me, please? Appreciate that very much. Exodus, chapter number 14, starting in verse number 10. I'll read out loud. If you'll follow along with me silently, we'll do it that way, okay? As is our custom here at the Anchor Baptist Church. Verse number 10, Exodus chapter 14. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Verse 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Keeping that in mind, we'll go back over this again. Go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Psalm 107. A couple of verses here, starting in verse number 23. Psalm 107, starting in verse number 23. Once again, I'll read out loud. You read along with me silently. Starting in verse number 23, Psalm 107. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind and lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again unto the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Father, thank you for the bite. Please, dear Lord, encourage us tonight, strengthen us tonight, give us understanding tonight, not for my sake, but for your people's sake. Dear Lord, watch over us, bring us together under the power of your word. Bless the dear people tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. silent as the judge walked in order in the court I was on trial for my sin the Holy Spirit brought me forward and he began to make his plea as the judge carefully listened he found me guilty. Now the verdict, it was guilty, and I had to pay the sentence. It was
was death, for there was no other way. And as they began to lead me away, the judge's son stood up and said, well, there's something I must say. There is some evidence that I have for this case. He said with a big, big smile on his face, death is required. Let there be no mistake for the price was paid on Calvary. When I took his place, and I thank God it was settled long ago in the courtroom of my soul. has been dismissed in my heart there's no debate for the judge he signed my pardon saved by grace yes my God he signed my pardon saved by seated. Am I on? Thank you very much. Exodus chapter number 14. I want to talk to you tonight about this subject when we can't. I want to talk to you tonight about the subject when we can't. I need everybody's undivided attention. I've asked you to turn your phones off and I want every child in here to pay attention to me and be as quiet as possible. I want you to get the full weight of what I'm trying to say tonight and why. I want you to listen. Go to Exodus chapter number 14. Drop down, if you would, please, to verse number 10 through 12 once again. The Bible said, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because thou was because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? I want you to look at verse 12. Is not this that word which we did tell, which we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Now watch very carefully. Listen to me now. Everybody needs to listen to me. Pay attention. Quietly. Listen carefully. Verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. Stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today, show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them no more, again, no more forever. Background. 400 plus years they had been in Egypt and enslaved. Their dream, their desire was a promise that God had made to Abraham. That's all they could think of. It's all they dreamed of. When people would die, they still thought about this promise. That was their desire to have their own promised land, land that was promised to them. They wanted this land. They wanted to be there. Finally, a place called home. This is what was going on in their head. And so God's mighty arm, you know the story, delivered them out of Pharaoh, who was the king, the God of the world almost at that time. God stepped in and with his strong right arm, you know the story, the plagues, the so on and so forth, all the miracles that were done, how he defended his people, how he took charge of everything. And on that faithful night, the last plague that took place, of course, had to do with the judgment against those that were not saved. And God said, when the angel comes by, he's not looking for churchgoers. He's not looking for good people. He's looking for blood applied to the door. Not those who believed in the blood, those who believed in the blood and applied it to their home. God said, when he passes over, he will pass over you. And so, therefore, the name, the Passover. So all of this was going on, and the promise that they would be delivered, sure enough, God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. And God, sure enough, told them that he would deliver them. And lo and behold, on that night, they were delivered. And God said, now watch, when this happens, you make sure you're packed up. Listen to me, Christian. You make sure you're packed up and ready to get out of Egypt. Because as soon as I deliver you, you got to get out of here. You cannot make it. We are no match for the world. I don't care how much God got in you. He's already told you, you are no match. You're not to yoke up un, uh, un, unequally yoked with believers. So he told them to get out. The unexpected episode and changes that took place. Finally, whew, we've been relieved. We got saved. Salvation by the blood. God released us and we're out of bondage from Egypt and we're on our way to our promised land. This is great. Our desire is going to be fulfilled. I cannot believe this. And sure enough, God had told Moses, if you would, real quick, go to, to verse number one of that chapter. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahirath, between Migdal and the sea, over against Belzephon, before it, before it ye shall camp. And Pharaoh will say, now this is God talking to Moses and telling him ahead of time what's getting ready to take place. And what he did, he said, and Pharaoh will say to the children of, uh, of the children of Israel, they are encamped in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. He said, look, I, I can't believe this. How much easier could this be? They went to a place where the Red Sea was at, in front of them. Mountains were on both sides of them. And now Pharaoh and his army, oh, wait a minute, they had a desire to go serve God. They had a desire to go do what God wanted to do. Right. Nothing was wrong with this. God delivered them. God headed them in that direction. God put them in a position, though, and all of a sudden that great desire and dream that they had, now all of a sudden, like, I don't think this is worth it. I just don't think this is worth it. Look what's happening. And sure enough, they started blaming Moses. They started blaming as though he's the one that made the decision. 
Moses did not make the decision. He was simply following what God told him to do. Now, all of a sudden, there was a change in this episode and a change of circumstances, a change of circumstances. Did not God want them in the promised land? Was their desire no good? Could they not follow through on that which God had instructed Moses to do? Were they not allowed to finally fulfill their desire, make it to their promised land? Look at Pharaoh's behind us. Who, who planned on that? How are we supposed to cross the Red Sea? What are we supposed to do about that? We can't go right or left. There are mountains on both. We are hemmed in, and it would have been better had we never started this project than to have to face this. Go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. It's a beautiful psalm. I love this psalm. It's full of instruction. Psalm 107, verse 23. In verse number 23, it makes a statement. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. In the deep. Watch what he says in verse number 25. For he, talking about the Lord, commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind and lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens. They go down unto the depths. Their soul, talking about the people that are there, is melted because of the trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's, wit's end. Here we find out they had a desire to want to do great things for God. God invites us all to do that. Open your mouth wide and I shall fill it. Challenge God that you want to do great things for him and watch him perform what he's going to do. The same basic principle is here in this psalm. The desire of those who want to do great things for God, we see it right here. Those that would do great works for God have to go out into the deep. They have to go out where God invites them to go out. There, there we find out here that there were great works are seen are out in deep waters. And God invites every one of us to go out into deep waters so that he can show himself to us what he can do. He can't do it in the baby pool. He can't do it in the waiting pool. You're going to see great things. You've got to go out where deep waters are so that God can show himself on your behalf. Show himself. Understand, this was their desire. They had a desire to do great things for God. Church, listen to me now. They had a great desire, and this was God's method to bring about and fulfill the great desire to do things for God. Let me very carefully. The stormy winds, the lifted waves, the soul was melted. Doesn't sound to me like this going to work. You have to understand it started off by them say, by God making the statement, you want to see great works? You want to see me do things? You have got to get out where I can actually work and show you. You think it's your desire and wanting to follow God. Boy, this is going to be great. God said, okay, are you ready? The winds started acting up. The waves started acting up. It rose clear up into the heavens and then brought them all the way down to the depth. Wait a minute. My desire was to do great things for God. And God said, absolutely, and I'm going to show you great things for God. And this is the way that God is going to go about it. Explain. The desire and the direction of the Anchor Baptist Church, I believe around 2009. I was in a tizzy at the time. 
and really uh, couldn't quite remember everything that was going on. There was so much going on. So if you remember details, it's okay. I don't need to know now. Buses were running. Attendance was over 500 regularly. Some of you will remember some of this stuff. Others of you will not remember at all, and you think, you're kidding me. That happened here? Full services. Everything we did on a Sunday morning, we mimicked that on Saturday. We ran buses, had Sunday school, had morning service preaching, and all the people we used on Sunday morning, we used on Saturday morning. Basically, we had two complete services on the weekends on two different days. I mean, we were going at it full tilt. It was great. We wanted to accomplish great things for God. We were setting out to do something that other people said in Columbus, you cannot build a great fundamental church. They all die. And I thought, that can't be right. If God wants us here, there's got to be something God wants us to do. So we set out to do that. Winning souls everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I mean, we used to call it chasing sinners. I mean, I'm talking, when you see somebody down the alley, they better run because we're coming after you. We're going to do everything we can to win you to Christ. All categories had finance money in them. All of them. All of them did. All of them. Here was our budget, and every one of those had monies in them. Uh, Mike calls it pools of cash. We had all those things going on. Finance. We had set aside $320,000 to build that building right there. Oh, no, that didn't come close to it. Then we had to borrow one point two. So you're talking about a million and a half dollars, and that would not have completed everything yet. Come to find out for that new building, I mean, we had a desire. I, I could prove it. Look at the buildings. We had a desire. Look at the building. We had a desire. We wanted to accomplish something for God that when we got started, even other churches said, you can't do that around here anymore. I don't believe that. I believe when God has placed you in an area to do something, it can be done. That's why he placed you there. I think, though, what happens is we misunderstand how to go about doing those great things for God and the desire that he's put in your heart. Somewhere along the line, dissension started. I ask you to turn off your phones, please. Murmuring. Attacks. While this $2.5 million addition was going up. While this was going up. You say, why? That's not the point. It was going on. 14 years from where we are right now, the most hurtful, devastating episode that's ever taken place in Anchor Baptist Church was going on 14 years ago. Circumstances, incidents, problems, flooding in from all directions, and I mean all directions. In 2008, there was a major recession going on in America. Major. You think this is bad. You should have been here back then. All major contributors that went to Anchor Baptist Church, all of them, were either threatened to lose their job, lost their job, or got a pay cut. That's how bad things had gotten back in 2008. Just, we had just entered into a $10,000 a month mortgage payment because of that building that everybody voted for. The site project manager, as it went on, did not pay 15 to 20 subcontractors or paid them partially. Now, in Ohio, that's not his problem. Whatever site subcontractors or contractors work on, it's up to those people to make things right. 
this is what we were beginning to face. We come to find out that he'd only paid a portion of them. The whole building almost came to a stop. I mean, I was here every day wanting to see what was going on, and pretty soon nothing was going on. As I walked down the hallway one day, I looked at a guy who was a born-again Christian, a very nice guy, did a lot of the detail work over here, and I said, i got to ask you, what in the world is going on? Uh, preacher, because you did not pay $35,000, your portion of things, there's no money to pay us. I said, what? There is a million and a half dollar project and someone told you $35,000 is stopping all that? First of all, that wasn't true. But that's what they were told. Because the, 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 the um, project manager told them this is what was going on. While that was going on, there was this undertow and this undercurrent going on inside this church among the people. Six subs decided to put liens. There were 12 to 15 or more. That they, the guy who put the, 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 the uh, sliding roller uh, there in the kitchen, uh, that, 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 that thing that comes down right there, that was shipped in here from Canada. It was ordered from Canada. He drove all the way down here. A lot of the subcontractors says, no, we're not suing that church. We're just not going to do that. That guy drove all the way down here, and I talked to him in the kitchen. You have to understand, while all this is going, there's arguing, fussing, splits, people getting upset with each other, people trying to undermine. Folks decided that would be a good time for them to start their own church or draw disciples. All this was going on at the same time. All that was going on at the same time. Now, you have to understand, we came here because there was a great desire in our heart to do something for God. Keep that in mind. While all this was going on, I remember talking to this man, and here's what he said. He's way up in years, and he said, you know, I started this company, and I think I've about had it. People are so dishonest anymore. And he said, preacher, I'm not going to come after you for any money. He said, but I think I'm about done with this business. And I thought that was a shame. He deserved to get his money. And by the way, he should have had the, had the, the contractor, the main contractor, had not some, it's a long story, through a national bank, took all of the money that was left, which isn't according to contract. Anybody knows in a large, even in housing, I think, there is always a 10 to 15% that is supposed to be held for at least a year or more to make sure everything is finished. The bank gave him all the rest of the money, and he walked off. Guess who was left holding the bag? Us. 65 people decided to leave within a se several months. 65 people decided to leave. What, what happened to my dream? What happened to my desire? What happened for the great work for God we were set out to do? And it looked like we are heading in that direction. And then we hit a roadblock. During this time of the $10,000 a month, during the time of the $1.2 million to help build this that never got completed, during this whole time, there were $170,000 settled towards those six contractors who said, we can't forget this, you're going to have to pay us. So while all of this was going on, it just keeps mounting. It's not getting any better at all. Arguing, pulling disciples to themselves. Some were in sin at that very point, and I mean doing terrible things. Constant interference from those that had left, on and on and on. The budget was cut within a month, 30% in one month. Every week, a new budget came out. You know why? If we didn't hit it last time, we have to adjust it again. 
Sound familiar? All staff member salaries were cut 30%. All of them. All of us. And during the same time, those who could went and got a side job. I'm talking just about 14 years ago. I'm talking a lot going on. All maintenance was put on hold. All of it. We did what we absolutely had to do so it didn't fall apart. Other than that, we couldn't do a thing. We were asking people, I was, from the pulpit, look, if you can afford to bring in some toilet paper, that'd be great. That'd be great. That would help a lot. That's how bad things were. I know this may not sound real tragic to you, but we were in the middle of it. Trying to find people to fill positions that no longer. We used to have people in the parking lot that would show people where to park. We had people at the gates welcoming people in. We had folks at all the doors saying hi to people when they first got here. All of this was going on, and now all of it within a month or so came almost to a stop. We were in debt to a national bank that basically did not follow what they should have done, and I was trying to work with that. We had people online and, and, and calling people constantly, trying to get people to leave here. You know how people do. We don't want you to get hurt. All this was going on at the same time. It was very, very hard to deal with. We had to get an attorney because these guys wouldn't listen to me. I sat down with these guys downstairs. I didn't know any better. And I said, they said, look, you owe us this money. And I stood up and said, look, I don't owe you anything, and I'm not paying you a dime. Man, they hit the roof. Well, see, I didn't know the law that said, yes, I do owe you guys. So now I had to face them again. Brother, um, down the street. Uh, oh, my name is guy. Um, Yoder, thank you. Brother Yoder and I went and sat down and had a meal with these guys trying to ease the pain, you know, when you get full, you sometimes ease up a little bit. They weren't going to have it. They just weren't going to have it. They sat right there and said, you hired the guy. Now, all this was going on while people were leaving like rats on a sinking ship, while finances were sky high at that time because we all voted that, yes, this is a great idea. We had a desire to do something for God that had not been done around here for a long, long time. We were winning souls. Folks were getting baptized. People were coming. Place was jam-packed. Buses, we were running 10 buses at the time. Had 11, running 10. All of this was going on. Come to immediate stop. Boom, just like that. Everything. Listen to me now. Keep it quiet. Listen to me very carefully. One afternoon, we had to hire an attorney um, to defend us um, I really didn't want to pay any money I wasn't at fault and one of the guys said you hired him it's your fault I said you know something I may be in a building project once every 8-10 years you do this for a living and ripped you off he stared at me like what's that got to do with it but they wouldn't let me out from underneath that they just wouldn't so our church had to face on top of $10,000 $1.2 million loan we are also now having to pay off $170,000 over a period of, I think, two or three years. Understand, 65 people just walked out. All those people were tithers and givers and workers. I'm not talking about bus people. I'm talking about, it's no slam on them. I'm just saying this is the way it goes. I got a call one day. I was over in the hallway here, and it was our attorney. And he said, Pastor Bell, we have tried and tried and tried to bring this thing to a head and make sense of it and settle this. And we're not getting anywhere. He 
this after $50,000 given to them. Here's what they said. I guess it's up to you to see what you do. Go back to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter number 14. We're going to continue on with our story back here. The Jews believed God and the desire of a promised land. They hadn't had a home ever. It was already promised to them, but they never had it. They had no dwelling place. They had no place called home. They were in Egypt. They never went there and possessed it at all. It was promised to Abraham. That desire was there as something they really wanted. The Lord does not hold out the prospect of, of, of exemption from trials and tribulations. Church, listen to me carefully. The Lord doesn't say, you did this for me. You'll never have any problems. You won't go through tribulations. You won't have trials. God does not hold that out to us. He does not do that at all. Quite the opposite. He tells us we should have to meet on both of those one and the other, but he promises to be with them in their infirmity, which is even better. When God is with you in your infirmity, it is much better than escaping and not being in God's will. God's presence in trials is much better than exemption from trials. God's presence in trials is much better than an exemption from trials. The master's presence with his faithful servants while they're passing through the furnace, for example, was better, far better for them than the display of his power to keep them out of it. It was far better. But what do we pray for? God, why can't we do all this and no harm come to us? Why did God allow this to happen? Why was it God led them into this situation? Why did God allow the three Hebrew children to be tossed in the fiery furnace? Why does God do these things to us? We have a desire to serve the Lord. We want God to do great things. We want to show the world what he can do. And God said, thank you for that desire and thank you for inviting me in on that, but I don't work that way. You're never going to see God's power being exempt from difficulties and trials and heartache. You're not going to do it. It does not work that way. We would desire, if it were up to us, to avoid all trials. I, I would. I'm voting. But this would involve a serious loss. The Lord's presence is never so sweet as in moments of appalling difficulties. You want to get close to God? Get in the furnace. Let God get you into that furnace. They didn't see God on the outside of the furnace. They saw God in the furnace. You want to get close to God, you have a desire to do something for God, this is the way God works. Their reasoning and prayer about Pharaoh, the Red Sea, the mountains, would be this. God, why? Isn't that what they said? What did you do this for? What's going on? And the first thing we start thinking about is what is going wrong? It's a great question, why? God led them into that canyon, if you would, up against the Red Sea. Listen to me carefully. 
up against, they had a desire to serve God. They started obeying God. They started walking after God. They were following a great leader, and he led them right into this problem. Red Sea, mountains, here comes Pharaoh and his armies. Who would have ever thought this great desire is going to end this way? Are you listening to me? Like Job, just to dis- I'll tell you why he does it, just to display his deliverance for his people and how he takes care of their enemies. That's a great reason right there. We don't think of that when we're going through problems for God's glory, to show the world his power. We don't think of that. Well, how else would God do that? We think by stopping all problems in our life. You'll never see the power of God that way. You won't see it that way. Like Job, as in here, we perplex ourselves as to the reason we are supposed to do it all. God, we're supposed to do this stuff for you, and look what's happening here. It, It confuses us. We do not understand how God works. How much better to bow our heads in humility and, and, and humbleness and simply say, God, you always have, and God, you always will. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. That's what we ought to be doing. Have they forgotten? Have these people forgotten all the recent displays of what God did for them? Have we forgotten what God has brought us through? Have you forgotten the millions of things that God did on a whim and a prayer? Have we forgotten where God placed you, what he has done here? Have we forgotten? It's only been 34 years, folks. That's not a long time. It was only 14, 15 years ago. I'm telling you about all this that happened. Hear these people here. The greatest view of our God that we'll ever see down here is when he brings us into great straits and difficulties. Listen, I know you don't like this. And to the end of our efforts. To the end of our, and that's the frustrating part. Have you forgotten? Have they forgotten? Honestly, you started fussing about God and leading you here. You forget, it wasn't even a month or so ago, you were in Egypt. Your family was dying. Your kids are thrown to the crocodiles. There was no hope. You have all the desire you want to. You even had a promise by God of a promised land, and you were stuck in Egypt. Some of you in this room, your lives were an absolute mess before you came to this church. You may have had a desire and God just magnified that desire when you came here and you said, this is it. I had a a preacher sitting back here this morning laughing and amening and couldn't believe what he was hearing. It seemed to fire him up again, make him go again. Yeah, I knew that was right. That's what you needed. So that desire is still in that old man to want to do something for God, just like us. Just like us. We just do not understand how God's going to bring it about. You see, it's not about bringing you glory. It's not about praising you. It's not even always about answering your prayer. It's about his glory and Him giving you giving him opportunity to work. And God tells us how that's going to happen. Unbelief leads us to interpret God in present difficulties. Well, if God this and look what God did, it's just like the children of Israel. 
Why would God do this? And how come he let this happen? It would have been better. We felt more safer back when we weren't even saved and not in church. Amen. I mean, you've had more trouble since you've been saved. Yes, you have. I know I have. Instead of interpreting the difficulty in the presence of God, we judge God in the presence of the difficulty. If that's the way God is, stop it. You never give God a chance to work to show you. In order for God to show himself, he has to take you into difficult things you can't do anything about so he can show himself. Faith gets behind the difficulty and finds God. Faith gets behind the difficulty and finds God. In all of his faithfulness, is he not faithful? Is he not loving? Is he not forgiving? Does he not have power anymore? Is there not still a God in heaven, Anchor Baptist Church? So as soon as something comes up that somehow seems to thwart our desire to do something great for God, what do we start doing? Questioning? Doubting? Wondering? Why? Is this not what we tend to do? Moses said to the people, fear not, stand still. Quit running around like a chicken with your legs cut off and quit panicking. Stand still. I mean, not like they had a choice. Red Sea, mountains, Pharaoh. I mean, what are they going to do? And he said, see the salvation of who? Does anybody remember? The Lord. Watch me deliver. You want to know why God led them into that canyon? You want to know why God led them there? So God could say, now you can watch me work. Until that time, he had done everything for them. They just almost depended on, where's our water? God smite the rock. How come we don't have any food? Quail every, every day, just right outside the camp. Go help yourself. We don't have any bread. There's manna laying everywhere. God did everything. Then all of a sudden, God leads them to something they didn't like something they didn't understand. Whether you understand or not, you are to obey God. That's when God steps forward and says, so you still have a desire. You still want to do this. You still want to go to that land. Watch me do something in your life. Here is the first attitude that faith takes in the presence of... Here's the first attitude that faith takes. Stand still. I think God's leading me somewhere. I think we need to stop doing it. I think we need to change. Stand still. Faith's first response is stand still. And let's see what God's going to do. But flesh, that's impossible. Flesh says I got to do something. I got to go somewhere. So we jump on a horse right off in all directions, ruining so many things. And also showing the world and ourselves we doubt God and we had to perform. This is impossible to flesh. To do something soon. I mean, we've got to do something. Is our human reasoning. He's a preacher. That just makes sense. What were they to do? What could they do? <laughs> they couldn't part the Red Sea. They couldn't level the mountains. They couldn't take on Pharaoh's army. Tell me by running around trying to figure things. What were they supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? You think quitting and going back to the world is the answer. 
And then you wonder why God never showed himself and didn't do anything. We never gave God the opportunity in our life to take us someplace where we become so desperate, God has got to do something, and there's nothing that we can do. Can anybody in here make white hair black? Can anybody in here add one cubit to your stature? You say, I can't do that. God can. But we'll never know that, will we? Israel could not part the Red Sea. They could not level the mountains. They could not take on Pharaoh's army. The Bible in one proverb says, Lord, it is time for you to work because they believe not God's word. It's time. It's time. God works among his people to show himself. In order for God to show himself, we're going to have to stand still and watch. I hate that. I need to control. I need to do something. When I make up my mind, I've got to get it done. got to do it right now. And I don't think that's the smartest thing to do. I'm just telling you the way it kind of goes. And because of that, I miss out on a lot. This is the way to glorify God. When we quietly step out of leadership and wait, and again I say, wait on the Lord. That's what the psalmist said. He was in trouble and he said, wait. Wait upon the Lord. We've been taught so much to run from our problem. We can't figure it out. We've got to go somewhere else, do something else. God is never going to show himself. Anchor Baptist, he will never show himself with that kind of human reasoning. Thou will keep him. The Bible said thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Watch, because he trusteth in thee. Where's our peace that passeth all understanding? Well, you know what I'm going through. Wait upon the Lord. Church, you listen to me. Quit pushing each other to have to hurry and do something. It is only when we have learned to stand still in our efforts that the next thing that God told Moses, after they stood still, it's time to move forward. You should not move forward until you've stood still. And by the way, you shouldn't stand still when it's time to move forward. But the one comes before the other. All of these things happen front, side, back, just like back in our day here at the Anchor Baptist Church. And sure enough, everybody starts grabbing for everything they can and jump off the ship. Except those who stayed. Is only when we've learned to stand still. To attempt to go forward until we've learned to stand still and wait upon the Lord is never going to produce anything. It's so hard to be patient, isn't it? Circumstances going against you. And God said, let's be still. Are you kidding me? Red Sea, mountains, comes Pharaoh. You just want me to stand here and do nothing? I want you to stand still and wait for me, God said. Moses, tell the people to stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. He didn't say nothing was going to happen. He said, you need to stand still. Quit running around. I was like chicken with your legs cut off. 
you're heading in all directions trying to make something happen. And a lot of times we do some of the goofiest things during that time. What happens when we can't? What happens when we cannot make something happen? To all appearances, they're laying in this insurmountable problem, these difficulties. And God put them in it. God put them in these insurmountable things that they were facing. Some of you with your health, some of you with your finances, but I'm talking about our church as a whole. So like back then, some of you are facing your own problems, your own finances, your own children, your own marital problems, and then on top of that, now the church is facing some things. God never gives guidance two steps at a time. Well, how's this going to happen? And if we do that, what's going to happen? I don't know. Don't know. I'm always amazed when young preachers come here and say, Dr. Bell, what was your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, your 15-year plan in building your church? I got real deep, told them all the secrets. Um, I, I got up. I went to work. I came over here and we passed out tracks, witnessed to everybody that moved, and then uh, I went home, I prepared sermons, and then I died. See, they're looking for something fancy, some key. Well, what'd you do after that? I got up, I went to work, I prepared sermon, witnessed everybody I could. That's how this church got started. We're all looking for those big keys, that mystery stuff, that, that things that nobody's really, wow, that's what, I never saw that before. Now, that may be true, but there is no new thing in the Bible, nothing. There are just some things we need to learn now. See, what happens here is it has to be one step at a time. Watch what God does in that wisdom. It causes you to always be depending. If he showed you the rest of the trip, I got it. I can handle it. That's what we do with our finances, our kids, our home, everything, right? We don't pray anymore. We don't go to God like we should. We've been through this so many times. We know what we're doing, right? Almost sounds like uh, David when he went to battle, you know, the whole thing about the mulberry trees. And he asked the Lord, very smart of him, Lord, should I go up against him? God said, absolutely, go ahead. I'll give you the victory. And he did, and he got the victory. Trouble is, the next day he had the same problem. You know what he said? He went back to God. He said, okay, God, should I go up against him? God said, no, don't do it. I've been through this before, right? We've been through this before. We know what we're doing, right? You know what you're doing in your family. You know what you're doing with your finances. You know when to spend. You know when to sacrifice. You know when to give. When's the last time we even asked God anymore? Very smart of David to go back to God. He said, no, look, I'll tell you what you do. You hide. And when you see the moving of the wind in the mulberry trees, that's the sign for you to do something. God said, you just wait on me. I know what's going on. We get ourselves into trouble by not abiding in God's presence. Is this not comforting? If I know that God's eyes are on me, that he cares for me, should I not be able to just close my eyes and walk with him? Do I have to see it all, know it all, feel it all, find my way through it all? Then why did God lead them here? Why did God bring them to this place? Because God wanted to show them his power in the problems. Not 
I can keep you from. This is what we pray about all the time. Oh, God, please take this away. You're never going to see God's power. God, nobody else will ever see God's power in your life when nothing really happens where you have to trust God. So all this whole charismatic stuff about, oh, God took it away from me and I didn't have to. Where's God's power in all that? When we can't. What are we supposed to do? Go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. The portion of scripture here that I really want us to key in on was verse 21 through 31. Do you notice that verse 21 and verse 31 are identical? Do you see what it has to say? Look at verse number 21. All that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 31. All that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works for the children of men. Now what's important is what goes on in between this. We start off, hallelujah, I'm saved, oh, I got bad. This is the greatest church in the world. I love being here. I want to do something great for God. Good, praise the Lord. And it ended that way too. That's wonderful. What we don't understand is what happened in between. Listen very carefully. In verse number 21, it begins and ends, in verse 31, the same way. But in verse 23 and 24, look at verse 23. Now, they started off rejoicing, praising the Lord, thanking him for his goodness, just like we did when we got saved, when we first got this property, when we started a brand new church, we thought, oh, my goodness, look at this. Why are people coming to this storefront? God is good to us. I'm telling you, everything falling into place. I couldn't have asked for a better thing. Man, people just keep coming no matter. I could preach for an hour and a half. You sat on metal chairs until you got numb and you just didn't want to leave. Go on, preach and preach. We just loved it. And I'm just assuming that when we go to heaven, we'll be shouting again. I'm just assuming we'll rejoice and be glad that we're serving the Lord. It's the in-between that we don't always understand. Watch what it says here. Look at verse number 23 and 24 once again. They that go down, now understand, they they that go down in ships, that do business in great, these, these people, these people, you want to play it safe, you're never going to see the great works of God. You want to you hide in the shadows and only go along with the things you really like and, and not put God to do something? You're never going to see this. Because what God does to show himself, look very carefully. These see the works of God and his wonders in the deep. Watch, verse 25. For he, God, God, understand their desire. They're praising the Lord. They want to do something. They want to see great works of God. And God said, thank you very much. Look what God did. He commanded and raised it up the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens. They go down to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. God, I wanted to do something. I had a desire. I, I, I wanted to accomplish something for you. I thought that's what you wanted too. It is. Well, that's what I want. He knows. So what happened here? Watch very carefully what he says here. Their soul melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. They're at their wits end. They don't know what else to do. It started off praising the Lord for his goodness, wonderful works to the children of men. That's good. I like that part. 
He said, what, what, is, what are you after? I'm going to do something great for you. That's wonderful. If you're ever going to see God do great things, you're going to have to go out in the deep. You're going to have to go beyond the average three-foot pole. You're going to have to go into it. Now watch very carefully. We come to find out here. He said, God raised the stormy wind. Now hold on. Remember what we're trying to accomplish here. I have a desire. I want to see God do great things. And God said, wonderful. Come on out where I can show you great things. And then the Bible said, he raiseth the stormy wind. Wait a minute. That's not, that's not what I was after. You? Next thing he said, he lifted up the waves. The next thing he said, they mounted up to the heavens. And they came all the way down to the depths. He's still staying at it until their heart is melting. I mean, it's broken. They have no strength. What am, I, what am I supposed to do? And it's doing that because of, you ready for this? Trouble. Hold on. Who brought the winds? God. Who brought the waves? God. Who made it go all the way up to heaven? God. Who brought it all the way down to the depths again? God. That was the trouble that they're talking about. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. They're losing all equilibrium. They don't know which way to turn. They're bumping into things. They're trying everything. Nothing's working like a drunken man searching for a door that has no handle on it. They don't know what to do anymore. And the Bible finally says they're at their wit's end. They tried it all. Don't know what else to do. At my wit's end. Then, here it is. Then, by the way, you go back to, to, to uh, Exodus 14. You know what they did? They cried out to God. When they figured we can't do anything, God said, first of all, make them be still. Next, you want to watch me deliver? Be still and let me work. Understand chapter 14 at the beginning, he led them there. God did this on purpose to show them you're not in control. And you're never going to see me work unless you let me work. And they cried out to God. Same thing you have right here. You go down to verse number 28. Then, this is after they were at their wits, after they were at their wits' end, then they cried. I'm sorry, verse 28. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. So he bringeth them to their desires. Okay, so you're at your wit's end? Wonderful. Oh, and you're crying out to me to help? Great. Let me get you where you need to go. Listen to me. We like the first one. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. We like 32. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. It's what happens in between there. Your desire's not wrong. Your dream wasn't wrong. Your want to wasn't wrong. Your thinking it's still begun. All that was right. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The problem is understanding what God is trying to do. Folks, everything we do is to bring him glory, not us. Everything is to show off God, not us. Everything is to show people what our God can do, not what we can figure out. Yet we've gotten so used to this that when something finally goes awry, when difficulties come, we don't know what to do anymore. Except, God, why are you doing this? Well, here it is. The Bible said then, when they were at their wits end because of trouble, What did they want? 
they wanted to see the works of God. God said, okay. Problem is, we don't understand God, do we? What was all this about? What was, what was all this about here in these middle verses? Ready? It was to bring them to their wit's end. It wasn't to get them to desired haven first. It was to get them at their wit's end. You're done, your wits. I don't know what else to do. Good. And when you get there, you say, Preacher, how do I know if I'm there? Because you cry out to God. You cry out to God. We're too self-sufficient. We know too much. We've seen too much. We know what we're doing. How do you know you're there? Because you cried out to God. What happened after this? What happened after they, after they cried out to God? What happened? He brought them to their desired haven. Well, that's where they started. I, God, I want to go there. And God said, wonderful. You want to come out in the deep and watch me work? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. God said, great. You just didn't know how God was going to work, did you? See, God didn't want to show you. God wanted to show you him. You understand? So down in verse number 28. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm. Now, wait a minute. When did this happen? Then they cried out to God. In all of our trouble, all of our sin, all of our struggles, why is it our first response, most of us, is not to spend great amounts of time with God in prayer? Because we know what we're doing. You preached a fabulous message the other day on that whole prayer thing. And it wasn't just a, a, about how to pray. It was about sin stopping us from making a connection with God. So verse number 29. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves are still. Wait a minute. Who brought the waves? Who, who made the irritation? God did. What was he waiting on? For you to cry out to me. Then he makes it a stop. Watch what happens here. Oh, I'm sorry, verse number 30. Then are they glad because they be quiet. And I'm not talking about the people. That would be great. He's talking about the winds and the storm and the problems. Isn't it nice when there's unity in the church? Isn't it nice when everybody's shouting, everybody's rejoicing, everybody's working hard, everybody's giving, everybody's saying, isn't that wonderful? I mean, who couldn't do it when all that's going on, right? It's when there's problems. And a lot of times what caused the problem is not always sin. We think it is. Now, if it is, you need to get that right with God. But let's assume you're just living for God and doing what's right and want to do something great for the Lord, and yet trouble came. Mind you, Job, doesn't it? And yet troubles came. And yet troubles came. And his friends had to send Job. God doesn't do this kind of stuff. Yes, God does do that kind of stuff. What was their desired haven? To see the works of God. That was their desire. And God said, I, I got you there. This is the way that I did that. And it ends, after all of that, the way it began, praising God thanking him for his wonderful works. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. What would have happened had they stopped in the middle of that storm? What would have happened had they not recognized 
that God was trying to work. And I don't think they did. I think what God did, he had to prove the point by bringing them to their wit's end. And we hate that, don't we? I just don't know what else to do. What, what am I supposed to do? Excuse me. In your circumstances and difficulties, where is God? Well, he's where he's always been. No, I mean for you. Why do you think God, you're a child of God and he loves you. Why would he take you through that? What have you asked him in the past? God, I want to do something for you, right? We all do that at one time or another. Anybody that's saved eventually does something like that. And God said, good, I want to honor your prayer. And I'm going to take you through tough times. Because until you're at the end of you, you're not going to trust me and call upon me to do great works. What you ask me to do in your life when we can't? 14, 15 years ago, I was at my wit's end. You have no idea. I thought I was going crazy. I really did. It was that bad. I stood in that hallway down where the bookstore is now. Helpless, hopeless, powerless, out of ideas, broken. I just got a call that said even our attorney, we don't know. That time I said, nobody was right. I looked up to heaven and said, God, I can't do anything else. God, I don't know what else to do. And I think at that point, God was saying, Anchor Baptist leaders, now we're on the right page. It took all of that to cause us to mature to grow, to learn how to pull together. I stood there crying alone with myself and felt so alone in this great big world. My whole desire, before it even got started, looked like it was all going to crumble down. Ready? What will people think of me? What will they think of the Lord? What's going on with the anchor back? All these things running through my head while people are calling. I'm trying to counsel people that are broken. I'm trying to settle down people that are angry. I'm trying to calm down people that think I owe them money. All this stuff is going on. We're facing a debt that it's impossible for us to handle. All of this is happening at the same time. And when I came to my wit's end, then I called upon the Lord. You said everything magically changed. No. No, it didn't. I stood still and called on God. And from that point on, I just walked with him every day. Children of Israel didn't float across the Red Sea. They still had battles to face. They got on the other side there. They had to fight for their life. And God was with them. Those that stayed did the same thing I did. Unity was unbelievable. Strife was gone. A lot of misunderstanding, a lot of hurt. People begin to sacrifice, fast without being told, giving without being invited. All these things started happening. Was the whole church waiting on me? That I don't know. I just know when that was finally done, how everybody started pulling together. God did not bring, here's what we believe. God did not bring us this far to let us die in the wilderness. You mean God did all of this just to say, they tried to tell you it can't be done. 
God doesn't work that way. Why would God bring us this far simply to show us, see, you couldn't do this. No, God wants to prove himself. God wants to show your children and you, not you, but what God can do for those that are at the end of themselves and simply invite God in on the problem so he can show himself. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. God said, I got I to I mold your character. Oh, God, take it all away. That's our comfort. God said, no, you just told me you want to see me do big things in your life for you and your family and for this. Yeah, we did. And my, how things changed. We all became one mind, one accord. It's amazing when you get desperate how you stop being so picky. Did you write that part down? We're spoiled. We have so much, we pick and choose, and, and I don't think I'll show up for that. You know, I prefer Sunday morning service. That's a Sunday night, so I won't go back. And, you know, I like those people. I'm not crazy about that. I'll be nice to them, but other than that, you know, and that's what we did until you've lost all your friends. To your very church existence is on the line. We all no longer took for granted all of the talent we had, the education we had, the abilities we had, the finances we had, the plans we had. It was all gone. All of it was gone. God wants to use this church. Here we are now, God has led us into it. By the way, if you think this is a once-in-a-lifetime episode, it's not. I went through that once, and here's what we said. I don't want to go through it again. I don't blame you. You're going to have to forgive me. Brother Lorel's upstairs, and I probably shouldn't tell you this, but we were in a meeting over here, a financial meeting. This meeting, everybody says stick with me. We were in a financial meeting, and here's your leader. And I'm trying like crazy to figure things out. Mike and I are running our heads in a wall, and everybody's trying to figure things out. Uh, Ben's sitting in there on his phone. He ain't here, so. And we're going through all this stuff. And Jordan, this is what generated this whole mess. Jordan with tears said, this is exciting. I can't wait to see how God's going to fix all this. came to our wits end. There is no more money. There is no more out. There's no more re-discipling. There's not much more we can cut. Here's where we're at. We have the Red Sea in front of us. Mountains on both sides. And the world would love to watch this place fall apart and then blame the Lord. Here's our opportunity. God wants to use this church. He has led us into this condition. Why? Why? Why would God do that? Preacher, what's going on? Why would God do this? So that we can find our own way out? We've tried. We got some of the best people in this church, in that room, and we come to a big fat zero. We don't know what to do. So we come to you and tell you, we have a budget, but we're not coming close to doing it. So we're going to let you know just about every couple of weeks that we're going to redo the budget. You said, that's just crazy. 
and get it before it. And I know you're all set and we follow a hard budget and we do that. It always fooled me back when we were poor uh, how people would say, look, you always need to set money aside for savings. That sounds great if you have some money to put in savings. To me, that's the most foolish thing. And then you go to an outside financer when we've got people here that could help you. And the first thing they look at this list and go, what's this thing right here, this TNO thing? What's that? Ties, oh, no, you can't do that anyway. You, you can't give money to the church. You need to keep that for yourself. And you fell for it, didn't you? You know what that was? That was a trial for you. God tests people in a lot of areas. One of the major areas he tests in is how you handle your finances. Don't give me this. All I made this week was $150. Now, if you did, that's fine. You can't survive on that. You're trying to tithe off of what's left after everything's been taken care of. You're wrong. Now, in order for this church to be in unity, by the way, you new people, you need to start tithing and giving offerings. You say, I don't understand it. Well, until you understand it, just obey I want you to go down to verse number 21. <coughs> Can I ask you, I'm going to ask you to speak out loud. You think you could wait on God and see what he's going to do? You think you could trust God to wait on him to see what he's going to do? I don't mean sit down and do nothing. When he said, stand still, he's saying, quit trying to figure things out and watch what I can do. That's what he meant by stand still. Because then shortly after that, he said, Moses, why are you praying to me? Tell the people to go forward. I think Moses had a problem and wondering himself. By the way, that happens when everybody around you is telling you, we can't do this, we can't do this, what are we going to do? I don't think we should do that, and I don't think we should do It's very hard to keep people moving forward. Moses, tell the people to move forward. And they did. In verse number 21, you know what it says. Same as it says in verse 31. All that men would praise the Lord for his what? Understand, he just took them through a storm. They come to their wits end. They had troubles higher than heaven and went all the way down to the depths of hell and they thought to themselves, why would God do all this? And when they got so desperate, they cried out to God, God, we can't make this work. Good. Now you stand still and watch me. While we go forward, we need to do several things. When we can't, what should we do? First of all, you should already been praying. You don't need to wait for me to go, preacher, is everybody giving? Keep your money. If you're simply giving because others do, you're not praying. When there's a need, you got to pray about it. What if God doesn't influence you anyway? You're never going to give? a pure holy life it's a prerequisite the Bible said worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness that's why all this charismatic rock and roll 
church stuff is not of God. You cannot become more worldly and worship God in the, in the beauty of holiness. You're just going to have to trust the Lord that still knows church stuff. You think God lost control because we did? You think because we don't have an answer, he doesn't have an answer? You think because there's troubles we can't explain, he doesn't know what's going on? Come to your wit's end. We did that. And it took one voice to say, I'm anxious to see how God's going to get us out of this. You said, preacher, that should have been you. Yep. And it should have been you. Somebody's got to be spiritual. We need unity to go forward. We're not identical, but we need to have unity, purpose of direction. Whatever is needed, whatever's going on, everybody, if at all possible, ought to be involved. Like one body, like the children of Israel going forward. That's what we did back then. And Brother Usher was here. Mrs. Clagg was here. Miss Mullins was here. Some of you were here. We panicked when we went in there. We were hanging on to each other like you were my best friend now. Can't we do that now? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. You said, preacher, how did it all turn out? Oh, by the way, we paid off the 170000 to those guys six months ahead of time. The only time we've ever been late on our mortgage at all was about a month ago. I was so hurt by that. You're giving. I don't think we're all sacrificing. Your staff is trying their best to show Thirty-eight to forty percent of everything they make goes right back into this church. Just how they make ends meet. I don't know. I really don't know. I've thought about it. I don't know. And I'm sure at times it's very tough for them, and they're praying like crazy, going, "God, you got to do something." So you come to your wit's end. We need to praise our God, who will deliver. The staff years ago, Brother Pledger already approached me and some others came up with some ideas. He said, Preacher, I can go get them. One person said, I, I don't need the money the church is giving me. I'll, I'll just give it back. Now, if you were the boss, how would you feel? If you were the boss instead of me, is this going on? Stand still. Trust God that he brought us here to show us him. And in the meantime, we'll do what God's called us to do. We'll go forward. 
do what he's already told us. We'll trust him every day. We'll fast. We'll sacrifice. We'll give. We just say, like, you know, something, something extra came in. I'm giving that to Joe. By the way, that's what happened to you. Our mortgage did not go down until uh, Brother Laurel was taking care of the finances. He found a way just in time, too, because we had been a picnic to lower that thing to, what is it, like 5,000 something? Huh? No, just the mortgage, not the whole budget. Huh? You got anybody that knows anymore? How much? Six thousand, give or take five. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't remember. By the way, I've never had to handle finances here. I'm gonna tell you something right now. I'm never going to. From day one, I've never had to handle finances here. I I know what's going on most of the time. But I've never had to handle. I don't think that's smart, and I'm not going to. God has always supplied, always. And I'm gonna ask you, church, when we can't. When we can't fill every spot that needs to be filled, when we can't run buses, when we can't do what we've always done, what are we going to do? What do you do in your family problems? What do you do when problems come to your place? You turn to God? You're still conniving and planning to figure things out. You'll never see God work. You'll never see the power of God work. Because God said, when you can't, is when I can step in and show you how to do it. It's up to us. What are we going to do? It's not up to God. God's willing. God's able. God heard us. We want to do something. God said, okay, that's it. This is the way I work. So now what are we going to do? Let's bow our heads and pray.